scriptures. You can use one in the pew ahead of you. If you don't have a copy at all, feel free to take that copy with you home. We would love for you to have a copy of God's word. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Hear then what Holy Scripture says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires." to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When we first moved to Millersville, many people asked us if, having grown up in New York, uh, they asked me how I was adjusting to life in rural Lancaster County. Uh, I, I believe I've told you this before. The question always made me laugh because Lancaster County, in comparison to my hometown, is a booming metropolis. Uh, I know I, I know I've said this. Wyoming County, New York, is one of the largest dairy producing counties in the state of New York. In fact, uh, we brag about the fact that the cow population is twice the human population. Uh, not too long ago, uh, a freak tornado struck on the outskirts of my hometown, Perry, and the only damage it did was it picked a cow up and moved the cow 15 feet. Uh, that was the headline in the newspaper. That's how exciting life is. Uh, many of my classmates in school would uh, come to school in the morning having already been up for a couple of hours and having already completed their morning chores in the barn. There were a lot of dairy farmers around, but uh, one family in particular grew pigs. Three brothers, as a matter of fact, were pig farmers. And they, uh, one of the young men was in my class, and he would talk sometimes in school about things that had happened already in the day in the barn with the pigs. You can bet that uh, one of their, uh, all of these uh, farmers, one of the elements of their morning routine before they got on the bus to come to school and after they were in the barn with the animals, you can bet that they spent a long time in the shower. 
uh, washing away any evidence, either in appearance or aroma, that they had been in a barn. Uh, The last thing you want to do is show up at a school smelling like a pig. Uh, in, in one sense, my classmates lived two different lives. They, there was the world of barns and mud and hay and manure and livestock. And then there was the life of uh, classrooms and books and teachers and, and homework. And, and, and in between was a very strong bath. I just read a passage of scripture that also talks about two different lives. In fact, Paul says, put off your old life and put on your new life. And these verses that I just read are dedicated to communicating the necessity and the uh, a meaning of the struggle that we have as followers of Christ to put off the old and to put on the new. You could describe Christians as people who are in transition, moving from a life that's dominated from the old way to a life that's dominated by the new way. That contrast is all the way through the Bible. In fact, it often divides people into categories. It says some walk in darkness while some walk in light. Uh, it says you can be a stranger from God or you can be a part of his family. You either stand before him condemned or you stand before him forgiven. You're wearing either old clothes or new clothes. Now the dividing line between those set of contrasts is the cross of, of Christ. The dividing line is not uh, our race, your, your race or your education or your nationality. The dividing line is not whether or not you want to be a good person or a bad person. It's not your commitment to conservative politics or your commitment to family values. The dividing line is your response to Jesus Christ has to do with whether or not you recognize and value what Christ did on the cross when he offered himself as our substitute and paid the penalty for our sins. The the Bible calls you to believe that. You cross the line of faith, to trust in, to recognize what Jesus did, that he is a supreme treasure and that what he did on the cross in his death and resurrection most clearly expresses his excellence and is the provision for us to be saved from darkness to light. And when you cross that line of faith, you begin to lead a new life. A new life that is consistent with your faith in Christ. Um, Now, many of you know that I occasionally teach a class at Lancaster Bible College. I'm teaching a class right now at the school. And the students that come, the first day they come to class, they are Lancaster Bible College students because they have been enrolled. They applied, they were enrolled, the registrar says they're students, and and they paid their tuition, Uh, they moved from wherever they are to the dorm, Uh, and, and there they are in my classroom on the first day. They are LBC students by declaration of the registrar's office. But I'm the one who really determines whether or not they're LBC students. So that first day, by the books, they're there. But they have a whole semester ahead of them in which to demonstrate the fact that they're Lancaster Bible College students. And they will demonstrate it by showing up to class, writing papers, doing their homework assignments, 
fulfilling all of the requirements of the syllabus will be an outworking, a demonstration of the fact that they have been accepted and declared by the registrar's office to be students. Something similar is happening in Ephesians chapter 4. When you cross the line of faith, your tuition in the body of Christ has paid. It's been paid for by Christ. And he, by declaration, has said, yes, you are mine. But now it is our calling, our responsibility, and our opportunity to live that out, to live the life that is most consistent with our new position as forgiven children of God. Now, the subject of this next section that we're going to be talking about in the book of Ephesians is holiness. Holiness. Uh, Chapter 4 begins with this exhortation in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And then in the first 16 verses of chapter 4, he talks about unity. The life that is worthy of the calling we've received as followers of Jesus Christ is to live a life of unity. And now here, in verses 17 through 32, he says that this worthy life is a life of holiness. That's the life that matches the gospel. Uh, Now, before, though, the apostle unfolds this new life, he's going to spend the first three verses, which we're going to focus on today, verses 17 through 19, talking about the old life. Now, why does he do that? I think you maybe could picture it like this. It is almost as if the Apostle Paul pictures the Ephesians standing in front of their closet getting dressed. And there's two sets of clothes. There's school clothes and barn clothes. There's clothes that are fresh and sweet and smell like they belong in a bus and in a classroom. And there's clothes that are not fresh and not sweet and, and smell as if they could walk to the barn themselves. And the Apostle Paul says, here you are standing there. Uh, um, make sure you have the right clothes on. He, he wants you to uh, train your nose. What kind of clothes smell like pig? What kind of life, what kind of choices am I going to make, could I make, that would be consistent with the gospel and ones that wouldn't be consistent with the gospel? And in these first three verses, he talks about that inconsistent life. So what I want to do this morning in our time that is together in the scriptures, which is going to be uh, necessarily brief, I, I want you to see the condition of the life that we leave behind. The condition of the life that we believe, leave behind. And I have three words that I've taken from the text to summarize this um, uh, that I think will, will help unpack this. Those three words are darkened, hardened, and separated. Darkened, hardened, and separated. Now, let's unfold those a little bit, shall we? First word here is darkened, darkened. Uh, In the first uh, part of verses 17 and 18, Paul uses some concepts to describe how Paul would characterize the mindset of those who are apart from Jesus Christ, their mental life, not just your thinking, but maybe your worldview, your attitude, your mindset. Uh, and, and he describes this mindset as being darkened. Now, I, I recognize that you're, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what I may say in the next few minutes might be offensive. Huh. It certainly would have been to any one of the uh, Gentiles not in the church who read this. 
Can you imagine what a non-Christian would think when he picked up uh, Ephesians, if he ever got a a hold of it in the book in the city of Ephesus, and he read what Paul wrote about the Gentiles? (laughs) One commentator says that Paul goes too far, that he is too negative about those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. But Paul here is not writing based on his observation. He's writing based on his theological understanding of human beings. There are those in Ephesians who, in Ephesus, who practiced and who taught living a moral life. But Paul here is saying, if you're not living a moral life in connection with Jesus Christ, you still are darkened and hardened and separated. Now, let, let's talk about what these words... Uh, 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 Paul here in verse 17 describes Christians as being... Feud, uh, not Christians, those apart from Christ, excuse me, non-Christians, as being, having feudal thinking. Feudal thinking. That word feudal means empty, or it means vain. It means something that won't fulfill its purpose. Something is wrong with the way that these men and women are thinking. Those who are separated from God cannot comprehend him. Their brains don't work to that degree. Um, you might as well try to scale a 20-foot wall with a 6-foot stepladder. Your brain ain't going to get you there. Uh, as, as intelligent as human beings are, it cannot, their brains, their minds cannot reach into heaven. Now, he explains that a little bit more by using the actual word in verse 18, darkened in their understanding. There's not enough light to see. Can you imagine if I had a huge picture up here, a huge poster, and, and uh, a beautiful scene, and I only allowed you to see this much of it, if I only shone a light on this much of it? Can you imagine how warped your understanding of that picture would be if you could only see this much of a huge painting? Paul here is talking about uh, Gentiles who are dark and they don't have enough light to see the glory and the goodness of God. Verse 18, Paul uses another word to talk about their mindset, their darkened mind. He uses the word ignorance. They are darkened, verse 18 says, in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, this ignorance here is not innocent ignorance. It's willful ignorance. It's voluntary These verses are very similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Let me read to you from Romans 1, verse 21. Listen, you'll hear some of the same words. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's the same words, right? Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This ignorance is a result of the fact that human beings have said, I will not glorify God, I will not follow Him. Instead, I'm going to exchange His glory for the glory of created beings and I'm going to worship them and they're going to be my delight. And and Paul says, that's ignorant. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it grows into more ignorance. Paul here is describing how those who are alienated from Jesus Christ have the inability to properly view and understand and appreciate God. Now, I think I understand what he's saying here, and I think I've experienced something similar to this uh, last week. Last Friday, um, Kathy and I went to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. 
Spend a day in the art museum. And no, just in case you're wondering, I did not climb the steps like Rocky. Okay, I did not do that. We visited the Philadelphia Museum of Art. It was, it was a great day. I really enjoyed it. But when we left the art museum, I turned to my wife and I said, I don't think I'm an art person. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean here. Uh, we started on the top floor. Somebody suggested this is a great idea. We started at the top floor and looked at the oldest art that was in the collection. And we looked at the medieval art and the Asian art. It's a, it's a beautiful museum that's really interestingly set up, even for non-art people like me. It was really uh, wonderful. And we went and looked at all the art. We went through uh, the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1700s, and, and, and toured down the stairs as we went and looked, looked at the art. And my favorite, I think, was um, uh, the paintings of Claude Monet. I really enjoyed looking at those. Uh, every now and then, when I would look at a sculpture, I'd look at a painting, I could see something that the artist was, was trying to portray. But my art taste buds are not very sensitive which became glaringly uh, obvious to me when we made it to the modern art section of the museum. Uh, I, I didn't appreciate the modern art. I didn't enjoy it or I value, didn't value it. And I found myself very easy. It's very easy to go from not understanding to not liking to mockery. It's very easy, especially for me, especially for me. To move, you know, I look at something and I say, that is not art. That looks like a gorilla threw up watermelon. You know, I mean, just, I, uh, it's very easy to go from not understanding to not liking to, to mocking. Uh, my basic rule of thumb is if that I, if I can reproduce what you've done with a Sharpie, uh, it's not art. That's just my basic rule. If I can do it, it's not art. Now, you can tell I'm not an art person. I did not have the training or the skill or the developed taste to appreciate, to really appreciate what I was seeing. Now, um, in case you think uh, my incompetence is limited to art, I think the same thing would happen if you took me to a NASCAR race. Uh, if, you would, if you took me, I would enjoy going. I think I would really like it, but I hope you'd go with me. And I have a million questions about what was going on. And if you weren't there, very soon, about ten minutes in, I would be reduced to sitting in the stands going, there they go again, there they go again, there they go again. And I would go from not understanding to not liking to mockery. I wonder if he has a GPS so he knows not to get lost. <laughs> left, turn left, turn left. I am, I am multi-phasic, I'm multi-talented when it comes to my incompetence. I had a professor once who came to class uh, and he explained Impressionism to us. It was a philosophy class, and he was a guest lecturer, he came, he was a pianist and a painter, and he sat down in this class and he explained impressionist to, uh, his Impressionism to us, he showed us some paintings, he played us some music, and when I left, I understood Impressionism, and I appreciated Impressionism. But Impressionism is one really small slice of the art world pie. Um, art appreciation is not part of my mental toolbox. Now follow me here back into Ephesians 4. People who do not know Jesus Christ do not have the mental capacity to see and evaluate and appreciate what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. 
They do not have that capacity. That's what Paul is saying in these passages. They may reach the point of intellectual assent where they can say to us, yes, I know what you mean when you talk about sovereignty and goodness and and incarnation. They may be able to, to state those facts. What they lack is seeing the beauty and the wonder and the glory of those things. They don't understand when we talk about Jesus Christ why anybody would find him so attractive and so precious a treasure that you would give your life to follow him. In fact, it's not very hard to go from disliking, not understanding, to disliking, to mockery. And when you talk about Jesus to them, you might as well be talking about gorilla vomit. They're equally as attractive. That's what Paul is is talking about here. Those apart from Jesus Christ are are darkened. That's why our choice to follow him is so mysterious and so confounding and why Paul in 1 Corinthians can talk about following Jesus Christ to those outside of Christ being a foolish choice. They're darkened. They need somebody to bring the light. The second word that Paul uses here in this text is the word hardened. Hardened. Paul, in verse 18, refers to those who have hardened hearts. What Paul is describing, those who are apart from Jesus Christ, is not just a mental problem, it's a heart problem. By, by hardened hearts, Paul is talking about the same thing he was talking about in Romans chapter 1, this refusal to honor and glorify God, the Creator. And Paul describes this hardening as a choice that has consequences. Hardened hearts, now look at verse 19, the the consequences of that. Having lost all sensitivity, maybe your translation uses the word calloused, it's the word calloused. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So they have lost all sensitivity. And because they have calloused souls, this lack of sensitivity means that they're longing for more and more physical contact, physical sensation, which manifests itself in sensuality and impurity, desires that are never satisfied. Let me explain. Um, Have have you ever heard somebody who described being blind and they talk about how the loss of their sight means there's an amplification in the other senses? I don't know if they've ever biologically or neurologically proven this to be true, but uh, is, is it, if you've ever spent some time with, with someone who didn't have their sight, it's amazing how sensitive their ears and their sm- sense of smell and their sense of touch is. Well, uh, Paul here is describing something just the opposite. He's describing people who have shut their eyes voluntarily to the glory of God and their ears and their nose and their sense of feeling, instead of becoming increasingly sensitive, have become decreasingly sensitive. So in order to get a a, a hit, in order to feel anything, they need more. They need a bigger hit. They need a greater touch. You can think about it maybe in in your skin, your own body. There are parts of your body that are more sensitive than others. And if you have hands that are used to working uh, and uh, doing hard, hard work, you probably have calloused somewhat hands, rough hands that aren't as sensitive. And if if, if somebody wants to make an impression on you, they have to grab a little bit harder, push a little bit harder. 
And what Paul is describing here is people who have shut themselves off from the glory and the satisfaction of Jesus Christ. And having done so, they need touch and they'll look for it anywhere and they'll they'll try to get it. And what Paul is saying here is this reality to the extent that you look for satisfaction apart from or outside of Jesus Christ, um, you will get decreasing returns and you will not be satisfied. Whether you look for satisfaction in food or sexual pleasure or art or a new TV season or baseball or power or uh, uh, your uh, appearance, vanity, those things will never satisfy you. And, and these hunt for these longings, wherever you go, uh, you will discover something smells like pig. Something smells like pig in those longings. Now, I'm summarizing here this morning this paragraph uh, that uh, describes those who are apart from Christ with these, these three words. Darkened, which refers to their mental capacity to evaluate properly God in his glory. And hardened, which refers to our uh, insensitivity, or these uh, people who are apart from Christ, their insensitivity toward his glory, which sends them searching for happiness anywhere they can get it. And the last word that I want to draw your attention to is uh, separated, and it's very clear in verse 18. Darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. This is the chief problem of humanity. From the beginning, when Adam and Eve sought to satisfy themselves outside of God's good pleasure, what happened to them in the garden? They were banished from the Garden of Eden, they were separated from God's presence. And the story of the Bible is that human beings are unable to bridge that gap themselves, whether we want to or not. Soon after Adam and Eve were separated from the life of God, uh, I think in Genesis chapter 11, human beings decided to try to get back into heaven themselves So they tried to build this tower. We can be like God. We can be in the heavens with God. Uh, And and that plan was ruined by their uh, their sense of control and authority. I'm reminded this morning as we think about this passage and we contemplate uh, communion, I'm reminded of another pig farmer who was part of a very well-known story that Jesus told. Uh, in the story that Jesus told, the man didn't start with a pig farmer. He, he uh, grew up in his father's house and he left his father's home. He wanted his inheritance before his father died. And he ran away and he was, what, alienated from his father in the story, separated from him. As the story goes, he took all of his money that he'd gotten from his father and he spent it on <laughs> probably uh, sensuality and every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. He got to the point where he burned through his money and the only job he could find was as a pig farmer. He was so hungry, he wanted to eat even pig food. In the story, you, you, you know it, I'm, I'm sure. In the story, there's an older brother. This, this young man who runs away, the pig farmer, has an older brother. And the older brother, he should have gone and looked for his younger brother. He should have gone and gotten him. That's what older brothers do. They go and rescue their younger brothers. That's not how it worked in Jesus' story, though. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is 
the older brother who has come. He's come to search, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he sought us, the Bible tells us, by means of the cross and through the cross. And by our trust in him, we're clothed in his righteousness. Uh, Clothed in, in his righteousness so that we might know God and that so we might have soft hearts before him. So that we might be satisfied with his great glory and not be stuck trying to find satisfaction anywhere else. And when you cross the line of faith, when you recognize the work of your older brother, your life takes on a new scent. No pigs. The sweet aroma of Christ himself. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we come before you this morning, we are grateful to you for the opportunity that we have to uh, mark the Lord's uh, death through uh, communion, his death and resurrection. Father, I'm grateful to you for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning, and I am thankful to you that you have rescued us from this lost condition we're in, Um, darkened minds and hardened hearts. Father, I pray that you would train our noses so that this week we would make wise choices about the clothes, the spiritual clothes that we wear and the aroma that we present. Help us to be vigilant in in guarding against that uh, piggy odor that's sent from the old life. And, and grant us, Father, that we would be those who gladly embrace uh, the life that you have called us to through Jesus Christ. This is part of your transformation work. Help us to be wise, careful, and devout ones who put on and put off uh, vigilantly. Thank you now as we uh, move to think about the Lord's death and resurrection. We're grateful to you for our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.